Yo, what is going on, baby? Nathan Kennedy, the new money podcast, episode 69. <laughs> oh, God, I am so immature, <laughs> but I hope you guys are feeling good. Um, you know, thank you so much for tuning in. Got a great interview for you today. As always, my friends, ask me any question you guys have on Instagram, as well as if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love, love, love if you could leave a review there. It really does help the show and, you know, it lets Apple know that we're here to do business and gets the uh, gets the show out there. So I would really appreciate if you could do that. Now, guys, you know, I'm always talking about planning and investing in yourselves and in your future. If you're listening to this podcast right now, I don't need to preach that shit to you. You already know what it is, right? Uh, we're big, big fans of the stock market here at the New Money Podcast. However, I can talk all day long and you can listen to me all day long. But if you guys aren't out there taking action, you can't build that future for yourselves. You need to take that action today. And I promise you guys that Wealthsimple Trade and Wealthsimple Invest are two of the best platforms out there that'll help you guys take that first step towards building that future for yourselves. The interface and navigation are incredible and you know so easy to understand. Wealthsimple Trade is a commission-free platform where you can buy stocks and ETFs free of charge, whereas Wealthsimple Invest is a robo-advisor where they do all the work for you. you just have to put the money in guys please check out the show notes of this episode for links to get started with either one i really do believe in these platforms and really believe they can do so much for you guys so go check it out i wouldn't promote anything i don't believe in also guys quick shout out grit labs i mentioned them before they are a boot camp style training in burlington ontario that is actually now online They've got a free trial. You can work out with me if that excites you or if that doesn't, whatever. But, um, you know, sign up for a class. We'll do it together. It'd be great. Um, it kicks your butt. It's great to get a little bit of a workout during this time. Uh, here in Ontario, we're on lockdown for real. So, um, you know, get a free class. Try it out. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll stay a while, right? So go check out the show notes or check out gritlabs.ca, G-R-I-T-L-A-B-S. Okay, cool. So today's episode is with my boy, Darren. Uh, he's actually my first year biology lab partner um <laughs> i used to be in science once upon a time and this guy is genius and he's actually one of the guys that made me realize okay i'm not cut out to be a doctor because i was like this guy is cut out to be a doctor and i am not like that <laughs> he is like on another level with passion for you know medicine and things like that and um you know i absolutely you know learned a ton just from chatting with him now and he's just a remarkable dude really really dope combo we talk about so many different things and i think it's just interesting it's kind of a kind of one of those ones where it goes everywhere so um you know just it, i think it's i think it's a good listen and you'll learn a lot about doctors and and uh how they become doctors and the business around it and all kinds of stuff so if you're down if you want a nice little podcast to listen to i really do think this is the one for you so sit back relax and enjoy this episode let's just dive on into it baby <laughs> Darren, what's going on, man? Yo, I'm chilling, man. It's been so long since I talked to you. <laughs> yeah, yo, it's been a while. Yo, guys, me and Darren go way back. First year bio, man. That was back when I was in science. Good to have you on, guys. I wanted to uh, bring on Darren uh, just to chat um, about money from uh, a med school uh, side and, and really talk about that world. It's a little bit niche, but I think it's really interesting. Um, I have a few friends in the space, and so I thought uh, just chatting with Darren. So, Darren, really quick, man, give us give us uh, like a you know quick little blurb about you and and uh, uh, why you're so passionate about medicine, and then we'll just kind of get into it, man. Sure. I guess since I'm on the new money podcast, I'll I'll try and throw in a spin about finances as it relates to my story. But um, essentially, when I was in high school, like I didn't come from 
the most well-off family, like no, no real doctors in the family, but I knew I wanted to be a doctor. So part of my plan was like, okay, how do I become a doctor? But also in the most cost-effective way possible. Cause I knew I didn't have time to, you know, fund a bunch of fancy degrees before actually bringing in that doctor money, you know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, <laughs> like since then, like I've started to learn more about the business of running your own practice and you don't really get that in medical school. So I'm glad I'm able to chat about this, like on a podcast like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure, man. For sure. So kind of take me through that, man. Like how, what's the path usually look like for doctors in terms of, you know, you do your, you do your, your, um, your education, you do your residency. And then like, and then how does, do you just get, do you get a few doctors and you're like, Hey, do you want to start a practice? And then it's like that, how it goes. Like, how, how does that process sort of like happen? Oh, geez. There's actually, huh. I guess the path before you become a doctor is more regular, but after, since you are sort of your own business, you know, your own small business, there are different options, but I guess I'll start with becoming a doctor. Generally, you need a, a four-year degree here in Canada. So that is, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be in science necessarily. Um, but you're basically looking at living in tuition costs for those four years of undergrad. And then generally speaking, another four years of medicine once you get in before you become a junior doctor or a resident. Um, and then, you know, we can talk more about that. But I'll leave it, I'll leave it at that for now. Mm. For sure, for sure. No, that's that's dope, man. That's dope. So I know that you're you're making some content online, dude. Like what um what made you want to start doing that and just start sharing and talking about that? Um I knew there was well, first of all, there's a there's a need for it. I think that when I was applying to medical school or I was thinking of applying to medical school, I had to make my own connections and find this information through talking to friends of friends and that sort of thing. So I thought just by making it publicly available, like everything I learned about how to get into medical school and what the admission process was like, it would sort of level the playing field a little bit. Like, let's be honest, it's, it's not completely level, but at least having that information curated is, is helpful to those that don't have those connections. So when it comes to, I mean, you think of, <laughs> I mean, when society sort of thinks of doctors, I know when I, uh, think of doctors you, you it, first thing that comes to mind they're well paid <laughs> they're well paid um can you kind of speak to that a little bit and and um it's actually it's funny you you mentioned that because i distinctly remember in like third year chemistry or something one of my professors made a point to actually plot lifetime accumulated earnings of a doctor versus a bus driver and just because of compound interest and the opportunity cost of having to actually get eight to 12 years of education i think like the doctor didn't actually make up uh the amount of money till like early 50s i believe so you're actually at a net loss compared to someone who just graduates from high school and gets a two-year diploma and, and works for, let's say, London Transit. Really? 
Yeah, it, it was crazy. I was like, geez, this is, hmm, I never thought of it that way. That's insane. Wait, so does that have a few assumptions in it? Like they invest a certain amount or like, or is it just like raw, like earnings and like net worth and stuff? To be honest, at the time, uh, I didn't get the chance to ask like what assumptions <laughs> were built into the model. But like, if you look online, you can find a bunch of similar scenarios and it is pretty interesting to see. Yeah, you yeah, know, for real, man. So like... How does it differ? Like, I know in the States, doctors make like a lot, a lot. Uh, how does it differ from Canada to the United States? And I guess really around the world, like kind of talk to that. Yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk most about Canada and the US just because I think I know more about that as compared to, let's say, the United Kingdom or third world countries. But from what I understand, since Canada's healthcare system is publicly funded when when doctors charge for their services what they do is essentially there's a list of different services they provide let's say you go to them for a prescription um, to receive a diagnosis to fill out a form they there's codes for each one of those services that they can then bill the government for and the government pays them directly to their corporation out of taxpayer money mm -hmm. In the States, my understanding is there's a larger private sector, which essentially means that doctors can charge, quote unquote, whatever they want, which is not exactly true because obviously in any free market environment, like forces of competition are going to bring prices to a reasonable medium. But that being said, in a free market system, doctors do generally charge more in the U.S., then we get to build the government for here in Canada. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So when it comes to the ethics around stuff like that, is there, is it a contentious subject amongst, uh, you know, your, your, your fellow students and, and other practicing doctors? Like, is it one of those things where it's like, there's a sort of, um, I know ethics is a huge um, aspect to, to being a doctor, right? And so like, how does that play into that and, and money as well? Yeah, geez. It's it's actually interesting you bring it up because since we don't talk very much about money, it, I don't... You guys don't talk much about money. Like, like it's hard to talk about my, the ethics of money when people don't really talk about money that much in general. In right, right. Right, that's, that's interesting. That's in so, like, why do you think that is? Like, I mean... I could think of a few reasons, but like, <laughs> why do you think that is? A, well, there's a couple of reasons. Like, A, some people just gen genuinely aren't interested in finance. Mm -hmm. um, B, it's a little bit of a taboo topic because, um, like I was telling you earlier, um, you know, in a, in a field where people really value being self-sacrificial, the connotation that comes with money, you know, there's a little bit of selfishness and, and, and greed can be associated with money. So I think that makes it a little bit of a taboo. Um, but I do think it's important to be honest about the sort of incentive structures we're working within. Because um, for better, for worse, you know, that's essentially how we're going to be making our living. And, you know, we're, we're people too, right? We can't just be like, okay, yo, let's just 
give all our knowledge out for free and just forget ourselves because then we wouldn't be able to provide any services to anyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How is the, so okay? So I, another question I have, and I feel like I'm just peppering you right now. So feel free to ask me any questions, bro. But like, um, so you know, I see a lot in the United States and, and in Canada too. Um, you know, they talk about tuition and how high it is and things like that. Um, is is tuition? even more ridiculous for medical students. Um, I know obviously we were, we were talking about how long you have to be in school, but um, do you see that it's, it's, it's quite expensive uh, across the board and that it's like an issue that needs to be taken care of? It, well, it depends on, it depends on why high tuition fees are an issue, which there's multiple different perspectives on that because some people would say that high tuition fees are a barrier to people of low socioeconomic class getting into medicine. Mm. I see that argument, although I do think more of it has to do with um, other sociocultural factors um, that come well before one might consider going to university. So things in like early childhood education, the, the structure of our, our cities and, and, you know, how socioeconomic classes are, are divided in an urban landscape. But I think that's getting a little bit off topic, <laughs> to be honest. It's a podcast, man. You're supposed to get off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Tuition fees in the States are like basically double that of Canada. And then you have to convert it to USD. Right. Um, so it's a lot more expensive and there's a lot more variability in the quality of education that you'd get in the States compared to Canada. Right. No, I could see that. Um, and like, yeah, I have a, I have a friend that's actually going to school down there and it is just like, like it is, it's expensive man. it's crazy stuff. So who's this guy? My, my buddy, you know, Coco? Coco? No, I don't know Coco. Kadroots, Radui, he goes, uh, the med school in Detroit. Detroit. He he was in he was in he was in our ear. Um, okay. Oh man, what's the what's the school called? Starts with a. Um. Oh man, what is it? What is it? What is it? I gotta get this. I gotta get this. <sighs> Detroit. It starts with a W or a Y, I think. Hmm. Um. No, I don't know. Maybe. Man, I'm gonna look this up, man. There's a few. If you like read it out right now, you could probably. I could probably. Um, Wayne State. Wayne State. Wayne State. Wayne State. So yeah, it's it's just like, it's uh, it's crazy. And he was down there, man, and he was actually having to uh, commute back and forth through all of this. And met a lot of students that had had to commute across the border had a lot of issues um, with everything with um, the pandemic and that. And recently they've loosened up uh, commuting, but. She's been like super stressful. So like God bless them. But but yeah, man, like it's uh it's really interesting to kind of just see that perspective. Um man, with 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 a lot of your content too, I I've seen that a lot of it's focused on productivity. Uh could you just speak to, you know, some some general stuff that you like to share on your podcast with respect to just betterment and and trying to like optimize and uh you know be a better young adult? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because I've actually recently come to see the value in 
not necessarily being productive all the time. So I'll first, first I, I can speak to what I do to sort of keep things going. And then, Please, I'll, yeah. then I can maybe talk about how downtime actually promotes creativity. Um, but, but for me, like the main things are enough sleep, um, regular exercise and eating healthy. So as long as I have those three, three things built into every single day, I find that it's a lot easier to continuously prioritize the things that are important, upcoming deadlines, you know, whether those are deadlines that I need to meet the same day or months in advance. Um, just because like you need the energy to actually prioritize like all those different things, especially in medical school when you have a lot of different competing priorities. Um, something, something from the food perspective I found really helpful is meal prep. So for example, on Sunday, like I will cook all the food that I need to eat for the rest of the week. And that allows me to say, okay, from basically Monday to Saturday, I can just focus on getting in between tasks and not have to worry about, okay, w when am I supposed to cook today? Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, that's dope, man. I I'm so like, I love meal prepping. I, I, and I do still meal prep, but I got, I used to be so good with it, man. I used to have like by the day, like every dinner, every lunch, like just all mapped out. Uh, was, what, what, uh, what changed? What, why'd you stop? Well, that was when I was um, at, in school, and then that was when I was like preparing for um, uh, preparing for a competition. Uh, like I, I did a fitness competition last year, and it was it was dope, and it really um, instilled a lot of discipline in me. And I think I did I, I still do, but I'm just more relaxed in terms of how exact. Like I mean, I was like by by the meal, like planning it out. It was very, very time consuming, like incredibly time consuming. That's probably why I don't do it as much anymore. Um, but I think it's something that I, I might, I might, at, with that being said, I might shore it up a little bit and I might actually end up um, being more um, strict because it really does, it, 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 it is time consuming upfront, but then it actually saves you an abundance of time um, over the week, right? Exactly. And like, I forgot that you were actually a bodybuilder too. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say that, man. I would say, I would say I, I like to work out and, and I like to experiment. Like I would say I'm a bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. But yeah, I can see, I can see what you mean. Cause if you're like, I, I'm assuming you were portioning your meals, like, exactly. and we weighing out your food, exactly. that I, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've never done that. I've never, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. I just say, okay, like, I think this will be enough for lunch. Okay, sure. And then I just yeah. make approximate portions and that, yeah. that's how I stay efficient. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's the thing, man. It's, it's really trying to stay efficient. I think I do need to like, man, I'll, I'll like basic, this is my meal prepping right now. Like I'll literally like cook, like, I don't know, like a couple pounds of ground beef, I'll fry up a ton of veggies and I'll just keep them in these fucking like massive uh, Tupperware containers and I'll just kind of like scoop it out and like make dinner, um, which is still better than like, you know, cooking every single night. But I think literally having a grab and go, like I, I miss that. And I think I might actually, I, I'm thinking of really getting back into that because 
um, it really, I really am a grab and go kind of guy. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. So what other, what other efficiencies, um, do you talk about like, um, or, or prescribe, uh, to, to others? Um, I think something that's really helped me is when I wake up in the morning, let's say it's not a day that I'm in the clinic or I'm going to work. Um, the first thing I do after eating breakfast is the hardest task of the day. And it makes, it makes sense physiologically, um, just because, you know, you have that testosterone and cortisol keeping you focused in the morning, which starts to wane off around the afternoon. And that's when you start, you know, scrolling through Facebook a little bit more. So having that laser sharp focus first thing in the morning is something that's been really helpful for me. Right. I, I find that that's such a big thing. And I find that um, for me, when I'm at my best is when I like, I really like to work out early in the morning. And I think that really um, just starts my day off. Right. I feel like endorphins are released and I'm just firing in all cylinders and just, I feel really like locked in. Um, and I think, I think that's a really good point though. I've never thought about it like that. Like I try to, front load my day in the sense that like I try to get the the hard shit out of the way but I think if I literally like frame it as one task do the hardest task first you know what I mean I think getting more granular like that could actually you know really open up someone's day and it probably won't open up my day too mm. yeah well I'm not necessarily because like there are people that like to work out and I wouldn't I wouldn't want someone to misinterpret that to think Okay, so you're saying that if I work out instead, maybe I should work on my business first? Like, no, because at the end of the day, like, everyone's got to find a routine that works for them, right? And I think being in a routine is essentially what makes things efficient, because you're able to move from task to task without thinking, what am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's a really big thing, man. I think routine routines everything i feel like when i get out of my routine it's it just it really it really does throw you off <laughs> yeah but too much is also not good I, I remember hearing a good concept from this productivity like doctor youtuber in the the uk called ali abdal have you heard of him i have i have he's got good shit man he's got good shit he's got good content he, he talks about the pilot the plane and the engineer okay um and this all relates to productivity, obviously. So he says that if you think about it, the plane is you just going through the motions of your day, like doing your thing, like being productive, working on your business, um, cooking, that sort of thing. Uh, if you're the pilot, you're temporarily adjusting the plane to account for the day-to-day -day variability that you know you wouldn't have been able to plan for like let's say it starts raining outside so you have to you know schedule your workout a little bit different and when you're the engineer you're actually stepping back from your whole process of productivity and your habits and your routines and you're saying what should i do differently about like with regards to the whole productivity system, like the sum total of my habits. And he says, if, if I were to put arbitrary numbers to it, I would say maybe 85% of the time you're the plane, you know, 10% of the time you're the pilot and 5% of the time you're the engineer, something like that. 
Right. And I think I think really stepping back, and it's something I talk about so much in the show, is is to zoom out. Zoom out. I mean, I say that in just general decision making. I think that's a really good zoom out, think big, um, look at the long, uh, you know, have a long term uh, view of things. Um, but I think zooming out and just looking at your routine and, and um, how you're doing things day to day can really help. Um, not only with your finances, but like as we're talking about, like your overall productivity, your health, your relationships. I find um, whenever I am on, right? I'm on. I've got. I've, I'm in my routine. I'm banging at work. I'm sleeping enough. You know, my relationships just do better because then I'm not behind. I don't have to call off things to make deadlines and things like that. So it's like this. I'm. I'm such a big believer in it all bleeds into each other, right? I, I really think that um, you don't always have to be, you know, 100 and everything. But um, if you if you let one slip and really slip, like it'll bleed into all the others. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's interesting you mention all of this in relation to finances, because if I think about it, you know, at least as it relates to investing, I like to think about it as an automated process too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It should be. It, it absolutely should be. I, I I made an episode on automation. You guys should go listen to it. But uh, I think that's really when, when you fully automate it. I'm not even talking about like just like automating one or two processes. I'm like, my shit is fully automated. Like my paycheck comes in and then I've got all my bills automated. I've got all my investments automated. Uh, I've even like expenses, like everything that I possibly can, my credit card, like it's just like a constant system because I'm lazy and like people are lazy. People are lazy, right? And 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 not not only that, um, I'm forgetful and I know that having to remember is inefficient because then it's using, you know, cognitive energy to have to do that and then I got to do that and it's taking time away from it and it's just... It's it's just not automation is is as good of a process as you can do with your finances, right? Because it just saves you, frees up your time. It it works. It and it builds amazing credit, and it's just like incredible. And it builds insane wealth because also to speak to investing is um, you just consistently buy in. You don't look at the market. You don't worry about the ups and downs. You don't let um, the psychology of it scare you. It just goes in month after month, regardless of if the market's the way it is right now, or if it's going to plummet it, you're, you're buying in. And that's, that's the key to, to long-term wealth. Yeah, to be honest, I don't even know how the markets are doing right now. Cause everything's automated. Right. But I actually want to ask, how do you, how do you automate your paychecks? Like just to, to pay your bills. And cause obviously your credit card bill might be the same around the same every month, but right. I'd imagine there's some variability. Right. No, absolutely. So with my credit, my, you know, my credit card bill is one of those things where um, I do tweak it. There's that's probably one of the only things I still have to tweak here and there. Like I'll I'll have an automated payment, but I'll come in, maybe I'll tweak it or something. And I always like to pay it early and just have a little bit of uh, space. Um, but with respect to my paycheck, so like I get paid and then my employer deducts um, into uh, company matched accounts. So it basically um, pays into a pension and pays into my RSP and they match and it goes there and then it comes in my bank account and then, um, my expenses are all automated. Um, I, you know, I like to periodically review just to see, uh, if that's, it's this consistent amount because you never know, they might just raise it. And, and that's the thing with automation. 
it's not completely hands off. Don't ever look at it. Like I always say, like, be aware, look at your statements, um, have a, have an eye on it, um, uh, just to make sure that, uh, that wheel's still churning. Um, but with, with everything coming out and, and having those fixed, um, you know, paying yourself for paying yourself first in a fixed manner, um, everything kind of just takes care of itself and you kind of have a CEO mindset of just kind of overlooking it and just making sure that everything's running smoothly and then course correcting whenever something, you know, goes awry. Right. Mm. Okay. So is that how you invest? Do you, you just, you pay yourself first and then you don't think about it after that? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how I do it. Like I, I just consistently buy in at the moment. Um, I'm saving a lot more cash, so I'm still paying into, I'm still paying myself, but I'm paying into a, a high interest savings account with, uh, with Tangerine right now and, and just trying to save for, for, uh, another, uh, a venture. But with, I think it's, I got like five or 600 bucks a month. I buy into just my index funds and I just buy in every month and, uh, you know, I just hope for the best. And I, that's what I tell everybody on the show to do is, is if you want to build long-term wealth, um, that that's that's the the best way to go about it because uh it just takes the psychology out of it and um like psychology our our weaknesses our biases have have been the sole reason why so many people um fail year after year after year with their finances because they're tweaking too much it's 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 insane yeah i mean as someone that is obviously scientifically minded um i think you know, hearing about the actual studies that have been done on money managers ability to outperform the market. It was, you know, once I came across that research, it was difficult for me to justify investing in individual stocks for Absolutely. myself. Like very, like, I don't know. I, I, you know, if, you know, there's, there's having fun and there's building wealth. And I think those are, two different types of investing. Absolutely, man. I think it's one of the, it's it's crazy because it's like there's very few people on earth on earth that even have the like the capacity to to beat the market in the long term. And I I think that like almost next to no one can, right? And so um there's that and then there's these products called index funds and exchange traded funds and and um very low fee mutual funds even um that will literally match the market. And it's like, it's automatic. You don't have to do any work. You just have to like put it in and just wait. And, and um, it's like, why wouldn't you? Right. It's, and you know, it's people talk about, um, oh, well, you know, I could uh, look at all these stocks and look at all these things. And I mean, like Bitcoin's going up every minute right now. And there's all these flashy, flashy things. But I think if you, like I said, like zoom out, look long-term and automate, just automate. And, and you'll, you'll win every single time. I'm curious to hear um, if you've spoken to anyone that believes in active investing and, and what their rationale is, because most people I've talked to, let's say just collegially or colloquially, um, they don't have a background in finance, but they're still, you know, in, investing in individual stocks like Tesla, um, Amazon, and let's say, I don't know, canopy growth, like look what happened to them. But um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see if you've heard any like rational arguments for active investing. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I do have uh, a few colleagues, a few people that actively invest. Um, 
and and really they go by value investing. So they look at fundamentals. Um, they look at if a, a stock's underpriced, um, and and they look. So they use a series of fundamentals like earnings and and profitability and things like that, and um, growth and and all those earnings per share, all these kind of things. And they try to figure out if there's a margin of safety um, to invest in. For example, if they put in a certain amount of money, um, the fundamentals, so to speak, theoretically allow for margin of safety um, so that if it does go down, they're still um, they're still OK. Like they're not going to lose all their money because the, the, the stock can only go down so much. Right. It, it, like barring all um, irrationality, like the market to completely like fucks up. Right. And so that approach generally over time, like has shown that you can you can win if you buy underpriced companies that again eventually grow into their valuation and that's like some high level stuff and i honestly um am not as well versed in that because i don't do that i i, I do i look into my investments and i always say for people to look into their investments um but i'm not a value investor i'm in i'm in, in buy and hold guy i'm a long-term guy um there's nothing wrong with it and the i'd say the rational argument is is the fact that People think that it's it's so funny you say that because the people that I know that actively invest know that they can't beat the market in the long term. It's kind of one of those things where they're like, well, in the short term, I could probably have a pretty good shot of it, which they could. Um, but eventually, I'll probably move into the long term shit. There's very few people that I know um, that are that genuinely think they can beat the market in the long term. And like the people that like don't have that sort of like perspective they're not thinking about the long term at all. They're not, they're not thinking about beating the market. They're just trying to make a quick buck. And oftentimes that's what leads to them losing is because they're not thinking holistically versus somebody who's actively trading or actively, um, um, you know, buying stocks and value investing in those things. And, um, isn't really convincing themselves that they're going to be doing this the rest of their life. They're just kind of like, well, I'll make a few moves here, but start to shift my portfolio into the long-term stuff. So, yeah. And I guess there's a, a sort of somewhat rational inkling behind that. I guess if you think about it from the perspective of, okay, if you're a young investor, uh, you, you know, that these early moves aren't necessarily going to break your career, but one really good big move could let's say, make it easier for the next few years. And, and that's the risk you're willing to take before you move into passive indexing, I, I, I suppose. I guess I'm just a little more conservative. Yeah, no, and, and absolutely, that, that's, that's the thing. It, the big piece is the horizon, right? It's, it's like to, to what you said, we have, a, we have 40 years, 30, 40 years to, to make millions with, with compounding, right? If you really... If you break it down, if you put in a few hundred bucks, if you put three to four hundred bucks every single fucking year, <laughs> I swear on the show, you could swear if you want. <laughs> every single, every single, sorry, every single month, every single year for 40 years, you literally end up with two to three million dollars in an SP 500 index. Like it just, it just adds up. That's historical numbers, and historical numbers don't necessarily indicate what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, we need to look at historical because that's all we have. Like we could, just to be completely forward looking, you end up just buying speculatively and, and buying things that look good right now and you think will go in. Well, we need to look at what are the fundamentals, what are the things that are going to grow and are well diversified and kind of go with that sort of approach in mind. 
Yeah. Uh, now, I, I won't obviously get you to delve in too much to your own personal situation, like especially on the you show can. if you're not comfortable. No, you can't. This, Of course you, you can, man. You can so what types of indexes are you looking at? Like plain vanilla, S&P 500, you know, globally diversified, like market cap weighted um, factors, specific sectors, like what, what, what are you into? Yeah, so I mostly, mostly vanilla S&P. Uh, that's, I have, uh, I hold VOO, um, which is American listed. I also have VFV, which is the same thing. It's just Canadian listed. Um and then I have uh, sectors. So I have uh, a tech sector um, ETF, which is basically a lot of the stuff is is just um, to tilt my portfolio with stuff that I already have. That stuff that like with Apple and other um, um, tech companies that would already be in my S and P fund, just to give more of a, a weighting to them. And this is before tech has been performing well. It's just um, I I think I just believe in that uh, that sector. And all of the companies are blue chip. And then um, it's funny. Uh, the other one is actually a medical devices ETF called uh, IHI. And a lot of the companies are just specialized in medical devices and 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 um, creating them. And it's uh, it's all the big American ones like Abbotsford um, Laboratories and or sorry Abbotts Laboratories and um, a lot of the the bigger ones in the states. So they're still blue chip. They're still large companies. They've seen a lot of great growth. Um, and that's a, a much smaller portion of, well, not much smaller. It's a smaller portion of my portfolio. Um, but again, most of my stuff is just plain vanilla S and P. So, and that's what I prescribe to people. I think that's, um, pretty good. I think globally, um, is, is a great idea too. I, I definitely think that that's always good or going with some Vanguard. Um, um, if, even if you did like, uh, S and P, or a total stock market in U.S. stock market index, a globally diversified one, and then even like a little bit of bonds if you're really you know conservative as well. So like there's there's a lot of things you can do, but I think you know plain vanilla is it's it's it works. So and factors have you have you looked into those at all? Like momentum and things like that. Momentum, profitability, small versus big. Yeah, like I I, I have looked at it, but I just I'd really from a technical standpoint, I don't. Um, really feel like I understand like I mean I do understand them but I just don't really see the need I don't I don't feel like I want to invest in them myself um and I've and I've looked at those and they might be the future man especially with um all the different tech that's coming out with respect to like looking at equities and things like that but I mean and now we're getting really high level but I think I think I don't know do you do you are you interested in that kind of stuff um I'm interested but I realize I'm also a little bit biased because the the financial person who introduced me to the concept of passive index investing also cites a bunch of scientific literature on on these these factors mm -hmm. um so i don't know i think at at my stage like i don't have to get too fancy because a couple basis points with what i have is not going to you know make or break my retirement by any amount of years Absolutely. but uh, but maybe as I get older and more research on the topic comes out, um, I may have to be the engineer in my portfolio and sort of tweak it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think with with me, I'm really, I'm really, I really am hands off. Like a lot of the stuff, um, it's just I, I don't. I just don't feel the need to, to get into all the other stuff. Like you said, like I just very hands off. A lot of 
um, investing in index funds and things like that is for long-term money. And I'm really starting to shift, like I said, more of my dollars to, like I'm looking to get into real estate. I'm looking to invest more in this podcast and really build a business around it. And so I'd say if you were to say, if, like every day I'm shifting more and more money into these aspects of my life. And so that's why I'm not necessarily interested in investing time and energy to understand these up and coming technologies when like you said it's going to be a it's going to be a you know a few basis points it's going to be a marginal difference um who knows it might completely be different it might completely blow away um regular vanilla stuff and maybe some of the stuff i'm in but we really don't know and i think just the sort of general stuff that i'm in is i'm more than confident that it'll grow um you know exponentially over time and so that's i'm good with that and and that's why I'm I, it really dope. It's really dope that you're looking into all this stuff because I really do think it's it's great to be educated in it. Yeah, and it's and it's nice to have someone to talk to about all this stuff because like I have it in my head, but like I can't talk to it with other medical students and like yeah. my mom's not gonna understand this stuff. So who who am I supposed to talk about it? Like it's so <laughs> it's so interesting. No, it, it's great, man. And you know what? It's I really don't talk like th- about like index funds like this that often. Like I really don't. Like I I usually just talk about like, you should do it. Like, it's good. Like get in like, and you know, like that's pretty much most of my message. And, and I love that, but it's always nice to kind of get a little bit more, um, high level and granular and talk about like things like, um, you know, momentum. And I, th- I think like there's, there's a lot of different things. Like, have you looked at like ESG and, and stuff like that? No, I, I haven't. I haven't looked into that. So like it, like there's starting to come out with more index funds that, um, or, um, uh, exchange traded funds that, uh, are environmentally socially responsible. Right. And they're looking at like, they're like, they're, they're, they're more ethical ETFs. Um, and, and people, and there's, and a lot of dollars are starting to flow into those. Now, I think from a performance standpoint, like I don't understand it from a capitalistic standpoint, I'm not really sure if, um, that makes sense, but you could also have a counter argument too, that, those companies with a good set of ethic principles will outperform in the market um, that they they play in or that they they do business in, right? So it's that's that's the counter argument I've heard as well. So um, I just maybe I, maybe you could speak to that. I know you haven't really heard of them um, so much, but what what are you? I, we're kind of shifting into like <laughs> like like philosophies, but tell me about that, man. Like, do you think in a in a free market? an ethically sound, um, company, um, sorry, do you think ethics matter to performance? Um, do you think a company that cuts corners will eventually get caught in the long term, Or do you think it's like a tit for tat thing or like, what, what do you think? Yeah, this is, this really is getting philosophical. I mean, I think Amazon's a great example of a company that has apparently cut corners with, um, respects to workplace safety standards. Um, so I've been told. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, they still remain such a dominant force. I think, by and large, just because the value they provide to consumers. I do think at a certain point, people get upset at seeing inequality, corruption, injustice, and with cancel culture, um, that is definitely a thing to watch for. 
I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult yeah. to say. I, th I think you have to have some sort of ethical standard and, you know, maybe the public will forgive your company a couple of times for minor hiccups, but you, A, you can't do something that's overtly racist, like, like completely terrible, like just violates <laughs> other people's human rights. Yeah. And then, yeah, like I, it's it's a complicated topic. It's it's really it's really interesting, really interesting because I heard this uh, discussion the other day about it, and um, it was like if you if you did that, and it was like an infinite amount of time. Like the, I think the good person wins is what the person was saying is because eventually, like some at some point in time, the person that you know slash you or cut corners eventually has to do business with you or has to like collaborate with you in some type of way and eventually like it just ends up like they're just like they're they're fucked over or something like that i can't remember what exactly it was this um, is philosophy eh? hmm. and, but it is it, it it really is man it's it's crazy but um yeah no i just kind of wanted to to chat about that because again like the you know you be, you being in your your last year of, of school and just like I, I i really do like to see with with where you you stand on that and stuff like that but no really really dope stuff man it's really dope stuff i'm, I'm glad that you're so interested in money though <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean like it's important right because i am going to be running a business at the end of the day um mm -hmm. and you know how can i provide value to customers and and work for the people that are going to be working uh for my corporation right 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 what what type of medicine are you going to be uh practicing like are you what specialization are you looking at that stuff I, i'm i'm thinking about psychiatry i'm actually applying to psychiatry oh really yeah, yeah, yeah. wow that's dope man that's dope that's dope what what, what uh, intrigues you about that just like the human mind and understanding that and yeah well i mean there there have been mental health problems in my family so obviously it's a it's a a personal um personal experience has has made me interested in the field um but i genuinely just like talking to people um even when like no even or especially when they're going through difficult times uh just because being the person that can support them through those difficult times and help them see the light at the end of the tunnel is a really it's a really rewarding feeling and it's a really it's a unique area of medicine that you you might not get just i don't know doing surgery on someone or right. you know giving someone an antibiotic right 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 no it's 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 definitely it's very deep man it's it's very very deep um and and i think i think that's incredible man i think it's um like how long would that be then after school so that would be another five years at least but but here's the thing so uh, i guess getting back a little bit to finances right so for the last six years i i know i said typically it's four and four but since i got in a year early and my my program is three years through the summers i got to shave off two years which was nice but for the last six years of my um undergraduate education, um, I was paying to work, but as a resident, you actually get a salary and like, I'm comfortable right. talking about that on the podcast. Cause it's, it's literally publicly available information, but right. through, throughout your five years of residency, where you are training to be an independent doctor, um, you get paid, uh, 
salary of 60,000 and then it increases by about um, seven to 9,000 a year uh, up until the end of your residency. Right. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So is it the same is it the same thing where when you open a practice, like you're, you're capped, so to speak with, with your earning potential, your what, so to speak, you're, you're, you're capped, so to speak with your earning potential. Like there's only so much that you can set your prices at. You're capped. Okay. Um, yeah, well you can work more, but at the end of the day (laughs) here in Ontario, you're billing the government and the government has set a price for, every service that you can provide. So fair, fair. Your, your, your time value is capped. <laughs> your time value is capped. Okay. Okay. Cool, man. Cool. Darren, is there, is there anything you, uh, else you want to chat about, man? Jeez. I don't know. Like this has been really interesting. Like I'd love to, Hey man, we can keep going. Like ask me any question you want, man. Yeah. Like, what about you? Do you want to chat about anything, anything else on your mind? Uh, nothing. Nothing that comes to mind. I mean, I don't know, man. Like it's it's been really refreshing to t- to talk to you. I mean, like I think it's it's always great to to see that aspect. And I I again, like there's very few people I know, even finance people that are that are looking at um, like different aspects of exchange traded funds and index funds and things like that. So, like I that was an unexpected turn. Like I really enjoyed chatting about that. And any questions you have on that, man, please like riff like let me know. Yeah, maybe I could shoot you a message if I think of one, and then you can make another episode for your listeners. Because I'm, I'm sure they might be interested, since this maybe is a little bit outside what you usually talk about. It definitely, it definitely is. But I think, I think it's definitely, like I said, it's really, it's really dope to talk about it, and it makes me question. Like even during this, during this call, I've, I've, I've even, I'm always questioning um, myself in general, but in a productive way, like not necessarily like indecisively, but like questioning, like, hmm, like, you know, like, let me think about my strategy and like, let me add, maybe think about this. And, and I really like to, to, to be curious. And, and that's why I like to chat about this stuff. And so, um, you know, I don't verbalize my positions very often. Like, it's just kind of something that's here. But when I talk about it, it's, it's like, huh, like, you know, it's really interesting. Like, that's my philosophy, you know what I mean? And, um, it's, uh, it's a really dope. It's it's a really great thing, man. So I uh, thank you for for uh, for asking. Uh-huh. For sure. Um, anything your listeners might want to know about specific finances of like being a doctor, being a medical student. You know, I think kind of speak to you know. I've always actually wanted to to ask this. So the reason I um, went out of science is because I originally I wanted to be a doctor. Originally I thought I wanted to be a doctor and a lot of students find out that they're not cut out to be doctors. <laughs> um, but I'll be honest with you, Darren, when I met you, you were the type of breed that I knew. I was like, this guy's born to be, this guy was born to be a fucking doctor. Like I just knew. And, and like you and a few other friends that I had, and I just knew that it was different. And I was like, I don't have that passion. I don't have that drive. I don't have that desire. And I don't actually, I'm not actually in it for the right reasons. You know, I, maybe I'm just trying to make a living or something like that. I don't know what it was. I think my mom wanted me to be a doctor more than I did. And so when I realized that in second year, that's when I switched to business. And I, I really felt like I was comfortable in my skin. I was really where I was supposed to be. So kind of speak to, to that. Maybe if somebody's listening to this, uh, if they're going through school or maybe just in general, um, 
Like what made you want to get into medicine? Is it something that you've always known? Is it your passion or are you just good at it? Like kind of, kind of walk us through that really quick and then we'll just kind of wrap it up. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you have to enjoy what you're doing, right? So as, as much as it's a stable career, um, you get relatively decent pay. Um, if you don't, if you don't actually like hearing about other people's problems, helping them sort through those problems and being with patients in very vulnerable, vulnerable periods of their lives, then no amount of money is going to make you happy in that career. Right. Right. Absolutely. What, what is your position on passion? Like, do you think people should lean into what they're passionate about? Mm, I think, yes, not everyone has that opportunity. I think it's really nice when you do, but there's also the practical limitations of, can you monetize what you're passionate about? You know, Mm -hmm. chances are, um, if you want to be an artist, the, especially the early stages of your career are going to be very difficult, mm-hmm. right? And then, but if you make it big, you you generally make it quite big. Mm-hmm. So it's for, it's for each person to decide, but uh, I do find it refreshing when someone does have the opportunities to blindly pursue their passion. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's special. And I think um, it's, it's starting to become more of a, well, and at least in my world, I see a lot of people sort of like refuting the passion hypothesis and saying, no, it's not about passion. Passion's great, but passion comes from being good at what you do. And then the things you derive passion out of, you know, building career capital and being better at your job and having more flexibility. And that makes you passionate about what you're doing. And so I've heard that. And then I've heard people just being like, just do what you love. And so it's one of those things where, um, I love to hear both sides. I love to, to, to hear what you think on it, but, um, it's, it's really, it's really, um, interesting because it's a very, like I said, like philosophical thing to, to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's multifaceted. Like all those arguments have relevance and they all sort of play together to what an individual should do with their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. But man, Darren, dude, I really enjoyed chatting with you, man. I feel like we we talked about so much different stuff, man. Tell the uh, tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube if you're interested in applying to medical school at the first MD. That's the and then the number one S T M D at YouTube or Instagram at Chai T Darren. Awesome, awesome. Well, Darren, man, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to chat with you, bro. And uh, I'll have to have you back on the show, man. It was really fun to talk and and shoot me any questions you have on uh, on all those different uh, you know different ways of looking at index funds. If you ever have uh, anything on your mind, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so that is all I have for you, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Again, Darren, thank you for coming on, man. It was a dope convo, bro. I love chatting. And, you know, we talked about so much great stuff. Talked about a lot of in-depth index fund stuff, ETF stuff, you know, all kinds of great stuff that I really don't talk about much on here. So that was, I was not expecting that. Um, So it was great to chat about that. Uh, Guys, Wealth Simple Trade, Wealth Simple Invest, I'm telling you, 
two of the best platforms in Canada to take your wealth to the next level. I'm telling you, it's going to help you guys so much. Go to the show notes, check it out, look up Well Simple Trade, use that link because it definitely helps out the show. I really appreciate that, guys. So go check it out. But yes, great interview. Thank you so much for tuning in as usual. And I will be back with a solo episode this Sunday. I haven't done one in a while. I mean, I've been reposting, um, but I haven't done like a straight up informational one, just me and the mic in a while. So I'm bringing that back Sunday. Hope you guys tune in. But that's all I got for you right now. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. But for now, I am out this mother. Peace.